Father, we come to you this morning and confess that there is, there is no other way to be saved other than your blood and your blood alone, God. Lord, it, it is what makes us clean. It is what causes you to pass over our sin, Lord. It is what gives us our righteousness, God. We are so thankful for what you have done in Christ to make a way for us to dwell with you. Father, thank you that you wipe away our sins, you wipe away our guilt, you wipe away our, sin, our shame. Lord, you are so good to us in your Son. And God, we thank you and praise you this morning for what you've done. Father, would you meet us now as we attend to your word? God, I pray you would just speak through me and uh, bless this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to those of you that are online. And uh, I wanted to just throw out one other thing. You know, we're, we're doing a budget tonight. There is a budget meeting at 5.15. If you're interested in coming to ask questions, we'll be back here in room 151 with Ron uh, Potter. Or not with Ron, with me in Ron's class. There we go. So, yeah, come be a part of that if you want. Um, but we're continuing in our Hebrews series, which teaches us that Jesus is greater, greater than all the things of the world, and really the greatest thing that God has done. And the author wants to highlight this to us over and over again. So if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to be looking there um, this morning. You know, last couple of weeks we've been talking about Jesus being our high priest, who because he is a high priest has installed a new covenant in which we relate to God in which he changes our hearts, writes his laws on our hearts, and we walk in his ways. We get to enjoy his presence, and our sins are forgiven. This is who Jesus is, the, the greater high priest of a greater covenant. And now, as we come to chapter 9, the author of Hebrews is going to explain a little more of the mechanics of what Jesus has done as our high priest to save us. Now, it's an interesting passage because as it teaches us this, it focuses on what? I bet you can guess. Blood. <laughs> this passage is all about blood. In fact, this passage mentions blood 12 times. In fact, I was thinking, you know, if Halloween falls on Sunday again, this is a good passage to preach, right? Because it's all about blood. And we don't like blood all that much. You know, Josh Jost, our youth minister, he likes to pass out at the sight of blood sometimes. Or my daughter, who when she bloodies her knee, right, needs the Band-Aid to cover up the blood so that she can be healed. We don't like blood. And yet, Hebrews will explain that there is a blood that can purify you and save you from your sins, and there is a blood that cannot. Okay? And this blood of Christ is the one, the greater blood that will purify us from the inside out, greater than any religious sacrifice that has come before, anything that's been done to reach up to God. It's only this blood of Christ that can save us. So we're going to look at our passage in three parts this morning. One is our, what's our problem? Is that we've been dealing with a blood that can't save in the first ten verses here. The solution then is that there's saving blood in Christ in verses 11 through 26, and then we'll look at our future hope because of Christ's blood in the last two verses there. And so we'll jump in here and look at this. So I've asked for a few guys to help me this morning. There they are. 
And uh, so I'm going to ask Andrew Hopkins, who's our CLT chairman, uh, newly installed just a couple weeks ago. He's going to read verses 1 through 10 for us this morning. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, an Aaron's staff that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Thanks, Andrew. Mm -hmm. All right. So what the author of Hebrews is describing for us here is the arrangement of the tabernacle of Moses. You may know this. Tabernacle was a place where God dwelt with the Israelites, where they believed his presence was in the Holy of Holies, and he could only do that because he was in covenant with this people. It was God's grace to them that he could dwell with them as they walked with him in this covenant. And depending on how holy or clean you were as an Israelite, who determined how close you could get to God, the camp uh, camped around the tent here, and you could go into the the outer courts, and yet only the priests could go into this holy place to do rituals day by day. And yet, one time a year, the high priest could go into the most holy place and offer atonement for the people's sins. Okay, so we're, we're seeing the different levels of holiness in the tabernacle. This is what he's getting at. You know, this summer I was driving my car home after a, a good day of work here, and I looked over into a field, and what did I see but Moses' tabernacle? <laughs> did any of you guys see that this summer? Did any of you go? Anybody go? Yeah, so I went to this tabernacle that was set up, and it was pretty cool, right? It taught a lot of things about the tabernacle, and you went through the different stages and places. And I got to admit, when I got to the Holy of Holies, I was a little scared, <laughs> Just because I know what God has said about this. In fact, they had the ark, uh, you know, a mock-up of the Ark of the Covenant in there. And the lid was kind of off so you could see what was inside. And what do you think was going through my head? Indiana Jones, baby. <laughs> I did not want my face to melt off looking into that ark. But kids, this is, this is good for the kids. This Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, tells us what's in that ark, right? In this section as he's talking about it. That there was a jar of manna, and that was to remember God's pr uh, provision for the people in the Exodus. 
There was Aaron's staff that budded, and this was cool because this was to signify the man that God had chosen to be the high priest. Many were arguing against Moses and Aaron saying, well, why can't we be the priests? And God said, because I chose this guy, right? And that was to remind them of God's choice of the high priest looking towards Jesus. And then the Ten Commandments were in there to remind the people of God's covenant law. And I like what Hebrews says here in 9.5. He says, you know... All these things are great, but we're not going to talk about them anymore. So we're going to move on too. And then he says this in Hebrews 9, 8. He says, the Spirit is using the arrangement of this tabernacle to teach us something. This is really important. This goes along with what Hebrews has been telling us about so many Old Testament things that we can look at those things and they are meant to point forward and teach us about Jesus and the salvation that we have. And so as we as New Testament believers in Christ, as we look back at our Old Testaments, we should keep that in mind. The Holy Spirit wants to teach us about our salvation as we look at the things that God did so far back there. In fact, here's what Hebrews 8.5 tells us. It says the tabernacle and the priests and what they do, they serve as a copy of and a shadow of heavenly things. Now think about that for a second. That's a deep thought. That what God constructed here and gave us shows us what's going on in heaven. So if you want to know what God's dwelling place looks like, His throne room, all that has happened there with Christ, He's saying, this is what it looks like. Okay? We can learn from it. It's like a little, kind of like a little movie set, right? That we might construct. Hebrews 9.24 then tells us this, that Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, so the, the earthly tabernacle, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And so it's saying Jesus didn't enter into this man-made temple. He actually went into the one that it was picturing to do some very important things. But the author is telling us that the Holy Spirit wants to say that as we look at this construction that Moses made, that there are some things that we need to learn. Hebrews 9, 8 and 9 says this, The Holy Spirit indicates to us by this construction that the, the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, and then this next part we might translate, which is symbolic for that age of the tabernacle, okay? So the structure of the tabernacle teaches us that there was some separation between God and His people, that everybody couldn't get into God's presence, right? We, we kind of weeded them out as we go, and only, only one guy could get into God's presence once a year, that there was a distance between us because of our sin and our unrighteousness. And so we need some way to get into God's presence. We need a way to bridge that gap into God's presence. And we feel that gap. If you've lived for more than 10 seconds, you might want to know who God is, right? You maybe even want to feel close to Him, find a way to communicate with Him. But we know there's a gap. We can't quite get to it, we feel like, a lot of times. You know, we were in Switzerland in October, and we did some really cool hiking, but one of the hikes we did 
was this thing called a via ferrata where you hook into an iron cable and it kind of protects you as you do all these dangerous things. And so we were crossing these great chasms, right, by various means. Sometimes it was by like three cables where you're walking on one little cable. Sometimes it was a very swayy bridge. Sometimes it was on little ladder things. But each time there was a way to get across that gap to the other side. And Hebrews is telling us we need a way to get across this distance between us and God, that there is something that is separating us, and the Bible will show us that it's our sin and our sin nature. And so we needed a way to get over the gap. That's what we should learn from this temple, that we couldn't just come into God's presence. We were separated. And yet, Hebrews 9.9 goes on to teach us that there's a second problem that the Holy Spirit highlights for us in the tabernacle. And he says this in Hebrews 9.9, that in that time, the gifts and the sacrifices that were offered could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. In other words, all the blood animal sacrifices, all the free will offerings to say thanks to God, all the religious actions, nothing could purify your conscience. Ever try to do religious things to clean up your conscience? This is our natural default as human beings. We feel guilt and we want to do something to alleviate that guilt, right? To motivate us to do the right thing. And, and, and it works for a moment sometimes, but here comes guilt again, right? We know who we are. We know what we've done. And the Bible witnesses to the sin nature that causes all of us to sin and rebel against God and we stack up our sins, and we just think, if there's just some things I could do to make this right, God, I swear I'll pay you back. But we can't do it. We even do good things, right? Sometimes we'll go to church to get right with God. We may even read our Bible. We give money to the poor. We go on pilgrimages. We do prayers. We light candles. We do good deeds to make ourselves approved before God that he will accept us and we will be free and yet we lay down at night and we still feel guilty. And In some ways of our religious actions, we try to pay for our own sins with our own sweat and our own blood and it doesn't work. In fact, you know, in college, I was in college, guys, don't, don't take this as a good example but in college, I had an accountability group that I was a part of, and we kind of made a list of the most heinous sins that we could commit. And whenever we committed those, we had to bring $20 to the group and pay the group for our sin. Okay, so we had a little ceremony to do this, very embarrassing, very guilt-ridden. Because we, we, and this is our thinking, we wanted to highlight the uselessness of sin. So as, as we're sinning, it was like throwing away $20, right? And so we would do this and as a kind of penance to make us feel better that we kind of paid for it. And the goal was that it would motivate us to live more holy lives. And it did change our behavior some, right? Like, you don't want to pay 20 bucks the next time you get together. Sometimes it modified your behavior in bad weeks. You just wouldn't confess what you did that week. So you didn't have to pay 20 bucks. But what's the problem? Paying $20 doesn't change my heart. And it surely doesn't alleviate my guilt. 
So I'm left still struggling with the same sin out of $20, and I'm more irritated than when I began, <laughs> right? And the point is that the law and the religious actions can't ultimately change our heart. And we know the Bible witnesses to the fact that all the actions of the Old Testament, they were only provisional and exterior until God could put all of our sins on Christ and pay for it completely. And so all the actions we try to do to pay for our sins and make ourselves acceptable to God, they don't work. They leave us unsatisfied and our consciences are still guilty. And we know this to be true. And so we need a blood that can actually cleanse our hearts and bridge the gap of separation between us and God so that we can be in His presence forever. So let's look at that. Here's the solution um, that the saving blood of Christ has put forward for us. And I'm going to have Aaron Jett, who's one of our interns, he's going to come read for us um, Hebrews 11, 26, or Hebrews 9, 11 through 26. <clears throat> but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is a mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For, it takes, for a will takes effect only after death, since it is not in force, as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, even the blood of the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Oh, not even the blood of the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet, scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood, both uh, the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And with, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year, with blood not his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Thank you. Okay, so here's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. He's saying, look, the solution is in the blood of Christ. Okay, 
that Jesus has entered a greater temple, he's made a greater sacrifice, and it has ongoing and eternal benefits for those that would be washed in his blood. Like the blood of Christ's sacrifice, it's the only thing able to close this gap between humanity and God to cleanse us of our sins and to cleanse our consciousness and and lead us into God's presence for all of eternity. The Bible witnesses this is the only way, it's only through Christ's blood can these things be made right. This is what he's saying. You want to be free from guilt? Then Christ's blood can free you. You want to begin to live a new direction in life, going God's way instead of away from Him? Then Christ's blood can make you new. You want to be unafraid of life and death? Christ's blood guarantees God's favor on you for now and through all of eternity. You want to live in the very presence of God forever? Christ's blood is made away. And I want that blood. <laughs> you know, this is where Jesus kind of gets in trouble with people. John uh, 6, 56 and 57. He says, if you really want to live, then you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> What's he talking about there? That you need to be cleansed on the inside by his blood to purify your heart and your conscience. That there's no other way. Everything else deals with behavior, it deals with the exterior, but there's one way to create a new heart, to cleanse your conscience and make you right before God. And he tells us kind of how Jesus did it in three parts here. He says, one, Jesus entered this greater temple, so not the one on earth, but the one that it's picturing, Jesus entered into God's very temple. In fact, Hebrews 9.11 says this, when Christ appeared... In the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the heavenly places. Hebrews 9.24 tells us that this tent that Jesus entered was in heaven, and he appeared in the presence of God on our behalf. So just like those Old Testament priests that would go into the Holy of Holies, Right and be in the presence of God and make atonement for Israel one day a year. Jesus now has entered the greater real tent of God in heaven in his very presence before his throne and is making a sacrifice on our behalf. And let me just say this. If Jesus entered a greater temple and has done a once for all in completing work, as Hebrews tells us, then there's no more need for earthly temples. That's what Hebrews is telling us. The work is complete. God made a way into God's presence once and for all. And when when we become Christians, God imparts His Spirit to us, and we can come into His temple, into His holy place, anytime we want through the very Spirit of God covered in the blood of Christ. This is what Jesus has done. And while he was there, this is what he did. Jesus made a greater sacrifice in his blood on our behalf. So just like the priests of the Old Testament would sacrifice animals on the behalf of the people to cleanse them, Jesus has entered into the greater temple that is in heaven once and for all, and his sacrifice was his own self. 
That God had prepared him to be the perfect sacrifice, that he lived the perfect life, he did no wrong, he fully did everything that God asked in his law, preparing him to be the, the, the perfect sacrifice, and he goes in and he lays down his life in his own blood for our behalf. Now you might go, why so much blood? <laughs> right? This is hard for us. As Western believers, why so much blood? I'm about to faint like Josh Jost over there. Hebrews 9.22 gives us the answer. And this is a really important verse here. It says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Okay, this is God's economy. God determined and required for the forgiveness of sin that blood must be shed. Why would he do that? The Bible teaches us that the penalty for sins is death. Romans 6.23, right? For the wages of sin is death. When we rebel against a holy God, it is worthy of the death penalty. That's how serious it is. And we've all accrued a sin debt against God. We all walk away from God, stack up our sins, and the penalty is death. God says we are a people under condemnation. We are born with a sin nature. We will act on it, and we are under God's wrath. The penalty for sin is death. And so the blood represents the death of something that has died to pay for the sins. In the Old Testament, the, the sacrifice of animals w- was to be on behalf of the worshiper. So this thing would die instead of me, and I was sprinkled by its blood. And provisionally and temporarily, God would allow me into his presence, and yet I would go on sinning, and I needed more blood and more covering. It was never enough because God was looking forward to a more perfect sacrifice that he was going to do in Christ. Leviticus 17.11 says, He has given us blood sacrifices to make atonement for our souls. In fact, Hebrews 9.15-21 reminds us that all the covenants that God made with Israel, He made with His people and He ratified them in blood. And so this is the general pattern of what God has revealed to us, that blood payment is required for sin And there's no blood good enough to do it except for that of Christ. And so if we are to be totally set free from our sins, what do we need? (laughs) We need a better blood, right? We need something, one that will change our hearts permanently. One that will free our minds from, from guilt permanently. One that has ongoing and eternal effects that we can stand on and trust. And so God in His love provided a better means to satisfy His own righteous demands in His Son, and He did it in the very temple that is in heaven in God's presence with His own blood. Jesus marched into God's temple as our high priest and sacrificed Himself so that by His blood we could be made free and clean before God forever. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14, it says this. It says about the blood of the animals, It says, look, they only purified the flesh, but how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, when we place our faith in Christ, 
He places His blood on us, cleanses us from our sins. He makes us new in our hearts. He relieves us from guilt, and He says, this is what I have for you. Come and follow me. And He has really good things for us. He sets us free. 1 John 1.7 says, The blood of God's Son cleanses us from all sins. And Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. He set us free to something, right? He has good plans for us. And if you are willing to give Him your life, He'll say, Come and follow me. Now walk with me in my presence. And we got lots of good things to do together. There are pleasures forevermore at my right hand if you are with me. So you want to get free today? (laughs) You need the blood of Christ applied to your heart. You want to get free from that pornography addiction? Jesus' blood. Want to be free from substance abuse? Jesus' blood. Want to be free from anger that seems to just pop up? Jesus' blood. Whatever has got a hold of your life, it's by the blood of Christ that he has made a way for us to get free. And not only does Jesus break the chains of sin and begin to lead us in a new direction, he frees us from the guilt that we're so ridden with in the shame. He makes our conscience new. And listen, if you're a believer in Christ, you know that's true. You have experienced the way God purifies your soul and your mind and sets you free. It is a great feeling. I mean, it's one when you begin to taste it, it, it's just just so good. There's no better thing than when me and Kevin get together week by week in our office together, and we confess our sins to one another, right? And it's hard sometimes. We confess our sins, and then as one is confessing, the other points to us and says, yeah, but the blood of Jesus paid for that, right? God saved us. Live in the grace of God of God. He has freed you. That is paid for in Christ. Now get up and keep following Jesus. And when your heart tastes that, man, it lights you up. You want to just keep going. It's an exciting way to live. You want more and more of that grace of Christ applied to your life. You know, Psalms 103, 11 through 13 reminds us that because of God's love for us, He takes our sin in Christ and He removes it as far as the east is from the West, that they are oppositely as far away as is possible. He has taken our sin. He doesn't remember it anymore, and he did it because he was a loving and compassionate father towards us. This is what Jesus does for us in in his blood. And so if you're here this morning and you're not free, and you know who you are, you know if you're not free, right? I mean, you can feel the guilt that's weighing in. It's tearing up your heart. You can feel the burden of sin that's got you trapped and paralyzed. You know if you're not free. And God is saying, in Christ, my invitation to you is to come and get free. Come and let me apply the blood of Christ to your life so that you can be saved and and made clean before me, set your conscience free, and we can begin a new journey together that will never, ever end because you can always be in my presence. In fact, you know, when we get that feeling of God's forgiveness to us and the release of our conscience, I mean, it makes us want to dance. <laughs> You're going, please don't dance. I'm not going to dance. Maybe you don't even want to dance. But you can smile, right? It makes you smile. 
And becoming a Christian is easy as saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. We heard that in our elder views, interviews this morning. These men at some point said, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. And I want you to set me on a new path. And I want you to forgive me for my sin. And God applies that blood to our heart. And even as Christians, listen, we got to be reminded over and over again how good God's grace is towards us. We have ongoing battles with sin in our life. We may be free from them, but we will struggle with them from time to time. And Jesus' invitation is always to get up, come back to Him, be cleansed again in His blood, be set free again, right? Titus 2, 11 and 12 says it's the grace of God that saves us. And it's the grace of God that keeps saving us and sanctifying us. We never get away from His blood. It's once and for all, and we keep returning to that fountain and enjoying its benefits over and over again. It's all because Christ died for us that we can be set free. And then look, Hebrews tells us that once Christ went into the the heavenly temple, he died by sacrificing himself for us by his own blood, that it now has ongoing and eternal benefits. Hebrews 9.12 teaches us that Jesus entered once for all into the holy places by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Jesus' sacrifice occurred once, it's open for all, and when you join it, it will go on forever. It never ends. Eternal, secure, permanent redemption. God will never change His mind about you in the blood of Christ. He will always be happy with you. He will always see you as clean. He will always dwell with you, and He will take you through all of eternity in His blood. In fact, Hebrews 9.25 and 26 tells us that the earthly priests had to go in the Holy of Holies year after year to make atonement. And yet, 9.26, Jesus appeared once and for all, the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And you need to know, if you've placed your life in Christ, Jesus has put away your sins forever. The ones of the past, the ones that you did this morning, and the ones that you're going to do 10 years from now. They've all been paid for in Christ. They're all done forever. Nothing else is required. And this is the greatest part, that now we get the freedom to just dwell in and revel in His presence each day and forever. In fact, Ephesians 3.12 in the NLT, it says, says this, it encourages us, because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Your Father in heaven is saying, come on in. Jesus paid for it. You can come and talk with me. We get to go through all of life of him. So his invitation to us today is to come into his presence. What do you need to talk with God about today? What do you need to walk into God's throne room and say, God, we need to talk about this. God says, come in. You're covered in the blood of Christ. Let's talk. Hebrews 10.22 says, Because of Christ, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith because our hearts have been sprinkled clean from all evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. God's invitation to us is to come into His presence through the blood of Christ. Now, 
This is the eternal hope in Christ's blood that we have. And, and the author of Hebrews points us to this in the last two verses here. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 say this. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will now appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So here the author points us to the reality of death and judgment. You know, I did a funeral this week for one of our saints, uh, Wanda Fulke, and this is uh, a reminder every time you go to a funeral, right? This is one of the things our loved ones do for us when they pass away. They remind us of the reality of death, that it's coming. And God has blessed this church with all ages, and so we get to see older saints go on to be with the Lord, and yet He's reminding us, yours is coming, right? This is coming. It's appointed to all men. And when we go and we have to stand before God to give an account, I want to be covered in Christ's blood. <laughs> in fact, there's no other thing that can get us through that time. It's kind of like the Exodus. You can think back to the Passover when God asked the Israelites, uh, I'm sending the angel of death to take out the firstborn sons, and you need to sacrifice this lamb and put the blood on the doorpost of your house. And if you do, my wrath is going to pass by. And that's the only way when we pass away and stand before God that we will make it through judgment is because God will see you in the blood of Christ and say, you are clean, you are holy, and I am so pleased with you. Come on into the party. This is what we have to look forward to. Romans 8.1, there is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the best way to, to prepare for that day is to let God apply the blood of Christ to our heart. And Banji, come on up. And God goes on to tell us that we now have a hope, right? That Jesus came once to deal with our sins, and yet he's coming again to save all of those who are, who are eagerly waiting for him for salvation in his blood. See, God has saved us in the person of Christ. God did the work once and for all in all time and eternity. He has applied it to our hearts when we confess him as Lord and he begins to save us. But there's coming a day when he comes back when he would save us to the uttermost. And all of our sin, our sin nature will be gone. All the pains of this world will be gone. All the things that keep us from following God will be gone. We will be saved completely, made holy new, and we will dwell in the presence of God, the very holy of holies, forever and ever, because we are covered in the blood of Christ. And so this blood teaches us, as the old hymn in Christ alone would say, there's no guilt in life because of Jesus' blood. There's no fear in death because of Jesus' blood. This is the power of Christ in me. He cleans me to the uttermost. He cleans my conscience. And God is perfectly happy with me for all of eternity. I want that blood. <laughs> I hope you do too. So the question for us as we come to a close today is, has the blood of Jesus been applied to your heart? Have you made Christ Lord of your life and let him purify you with his blood? 
We're going to come to a prayer time here, and I want us to bow our heads. and Just pray for a few moments and consider this question. Maybe you're here this morning, and you need God's blood, Christ's blood applied to you for the first time. God's been speaking to you. You know he wants you to follow him. He's asking you right now, would you follow me? Would you let me apply this blood to you so that you can be free? If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? If you want to follow Christ for the first time, would you raise your hand? God's also saying to us, as Christians, some of us have been living in our guilt. Some of us have been living in our sin. And we need help to be free. We've kind of forgotten that Jesus cleanses us. And we need to taste his blood again afresh this morning. If you're burdened in your sin and you want Jesus to touch you again, to clean, cleanse you, to set you free, to set your conscience free, would you raise your hand? Now let's confess those things to him. And you know what he says he'll do? He'll do it. Father, we thank you this morning for your Son, Christ, that in Him we have complete redemption to the uttermost. Lord, that as we confess to you the things this morning that we have been doing that are in rebellion against you, you say, I can cleanse those, I can set you free. God, would you help us to experience the cleansing blood of Christ this morning as we are forgiven and set free and set on a new path with you in your presence. God, thank you so much that you cared enough to send your Son and save us. May we be covered in his blood from now until eternity. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.